Hello, and thanks for joining me again for another episode of the Hammer and Umpire Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Weber. I've got several things for you this episode. I'm going to be talking part three of the Federation Baseball Umpire Quiz, five questions again. My umpire spotlight is going to take a look at Ron Luciano, interesting American League umpire from the 1970s. Uh, We'll talk about dealing with disappointment in umpiring. Also, video feedback and how you might use that to improve your umpiring skills. And uh, pay, compensation. How are you paid uh, if you're a high school umpire? How much are you paid? I'll talk about what we're paid here in West Michigan. um, And you can compare and contrast it with your area. And maybe give me some feedback on, on my Facebook page or via Twitter email. Um, just got uh, done from earlier today, meeting with some fellow umpires and and talking about some umpiring and situations and the NCAA uh, preseason umpire test. Um, good time. I, I, I suggest that uh, you guys do something similar um, as t- the tests come out. We know that, uh, that this week here, Monday, the NCAA test is out, but the high school tests are coming out um, around the country. hasn't come out here yet in Michigan. But uh, when it does um, in your area, I suggest that you get together with uh, some of your colleagues and talk about the test questions if they're made available for you to print out and such things. And, um, you know, kind of work through the rule book yourself. To me, one of the main reasons for the test is so that people are on the same page, you know, and maybe um, ruling on certain common types of plays in a similar fashion. Uh, For example, um, you know, in NCAA baseball, if a batter freezes, if he freezes and the ball hits him while he's entirely inside the box, then he's given his base. But if he freezes and, like, his elbow's outside of the box and it hits him, then it's a strike, right? So you want everybody ruling on that play the same way. So they have a question about it. And it's good to be able to, you know, get into the rule book, look up the rule, see what it says. And, and then if those kind of situations happen, then it's more uniform um, around the state or around the country. So um, plus it's just a great way to, you know, meet up with the guys that you're you go to battle with on the ball field and, um, and uh, you know, have a little camaraderie and, and you know, make sure that uh, you guys are on, on the same page and getting along good together. Anyway, make sure uh, your earbuds are working good, speakers are turned up, and get ready and sit back for another episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. So with the recent situation in Major League Baseball concerning the Houston Astros and their um, their use of video uh, to come up with their system for stealing signs, um, it's an interesting topic to think about video as far as, as your umpiring and, and other officiating too. But, you know, this is an umpire podcast. So we're talking about umpiring, right? Um, video can be very helpful um, for my older Listeners, uh, I'm sure when you first started, uh, there wasn't really many opportunities to uh, get video of your uh, games and performances and see how you look. Sometimes we don't like seeing how we look. We try to avoid it, but you know, you, you got to be able to do that. So um, if you're working uh, high school and, and definitely some collegiate ball, um, once you start working collegiate ball, there's um, 
you know, there's a lot of games that get streamed. I mean, it's maybe not the highest quality video, but you can kind of uh, see certain plays and, and see how things um, uh, how things look. Um, you know, maybe how you call balls and strikes, you know, how your positioning is. Sometimes it's hard to see yourself on the bases, um, but uh, you can do that sometimes. Higher level high school games that might be in a tournament uh, frequently are on some kind of streaming or maybe on some kind of small level television. And you can do that as well. I remember uh, a couple of years ago I had an injection in one of my collegiate games. And um, in my mind, you know, in your mind, you, you have what happened. You know, and you think that's what it is. But when you look at the video, um, you know, it really shows what the deal is. And, and I, I, you know, I had a, it was a, a steel play and the, the batter leaned um, over the plate and didn't make contact with the catcher, but altered the throw and the, uh, ended up calling the out and everything, calling the interference and all that stuff. And head coach coming from third base was not very pleased with it and, and basically, you know, questioned it, which was which was fine. He had a right to do that. But then he made some uh, personal remarks about me and my partner and ended up getting himself run from the game. So um, I had to write the report, and uh, luckily the game was on video. Um, you know, not very high-quality video, but I could see where I was and see where I was standing. And also I could see the play, and I got it right, which was nice to be able to confirm that. And um, so, yeah, that was very useful to be able to look at that situation um, and, and I didn't feel like I was all perfect in that situation. There's some things I, I could do differently. Um, the way I, you know, I walked away, but maybe I walked away a little bit too quickly after the ejection, you know, just the, you know, your mannerisms and the, the way you hold yourself, all those kind of things are important. So anyway, I urge you to, to uh, search out those, you know, videos that might be available for games that you work. And if they aren't available, um, if you have a friend or family member, that can maybe do some video of you while you're working a contest to, to help you out, uh, that, that is definitely worthwhile. Something that we, we all should be exploring. Uh, but uh, speaking about video as far as, um, you know, cheating, like we have with the Astros, you know, cheating's been part of baseball um, since baseball's been around, right? Um, people trying to steal signs, um, people trying to get a, a one-up on the other guys. Um but uh, the extent to which it's gone on here with the Astros and some other potential teams as well um, is definitely detrimental to the game. So we'll see how Major League Baseball handles these things. Um, you, you don't want the integrity of the game or the integrity of the outcome um, to be questioned by fans. Uh, that, that's what it seems to be in Major League Baseball right now. I mean, I, I know when I'm thinking, oh, I'm watching a, a certain game and a guy crushes one, you know. Uh, good looking pitch like 420 feet I was like oh did, did he know what pitch was coming did, did he get tipped off on that I mean you know guys might do that when they're on second base trying to steal signs that's just part of what it is there's nothing against the rules for doing that but we know in, in collegiate baseball and, and high school baseball there are rules against video and using other technology to get information so um they I don't know what all the, the the deal is with Major League Baseball and professional baseball, but they definitely need to put some things in place as far as the kind of information that you can have access to um, in the dugout um, that can definitely be construed as cheating. So um, we'll see how this plays out, I guess. Um, uh, I, I hope they, they do figure it out because it definitely 
worries me a little bit the way this route has gone. But nonetheless, video is a positive thing overall. It's definitely a positive thing for umpires. We, we know they're talking about putting in um, – you know, in professional baseball, the automated strike zones, I mean, it would certainly be a while before that happened to most of us in amateur baseball. But uh, that's that's the way things are going. The technology is continuing to improve, and eventually it might be available at uh, lower levels and stuff like that. Some of us might be out of a job. It will be like the, the cashiers don't have jobs anymore because, you know, people are going in and, and checking out their own groceries, I guess. <laughs> so, um Unfortunately, that's the kind of the way it goes. You know, technology, you know, makes people lose their, their jobs at time. But also it can make us better, you know. I mean, I think that uh, you see this in professional baseball and all, in general in professional sports that uh, more plays are, are – are, they get them right, you know, or, or they have review and, and they have replay review and, and uh, games aren't decided on a missed call. We, nobody wants that. Anybody that's officiated anything knows that you don't want a game to be decided on some blown call, especially one by you. Um, or any game that you're working in. So, you know, we want to get it right. Um, that That's definitely more important than your ego, um, you know, and that's certainly part of the integrity of the game. It's, that's what you want. So try to use those things in in your advantage um, to um, make yourself a little bit better um, through technology. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'd like to have a discussion about pay, particularly high school baseball umpire pay. Uh, we've had um, some, uh, I don't know, discussions, I guess, uh, and uh, conversations about uh, pay here in my local high school association recently. And uh, we, we got a pay increase, which is which is a good thing. Um, but um, I, I was privy to the information for the um, entire area as far as what other sports pay for. We'll just talk about varsity level uh, pay, like for basketball, football, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and I think the state of Michigan in general does pretty well as far as pay, um, probably at least average to above average as far as the rest of the nation. I'd be interested in getting any of your feedback as far as how much you make for um, high school varsity games in your area if it's more or less than what I'm talking about here. Um, I know some areas, the cost of living is more. You know, let's say if you live in the New York City area, for example, the Chicago area. So maybe they pay more. I hope they do um, because, you know, it costs more to, to live there and, and to move around. So here for a varsity baseball game, uh, it's $65 for a game. It used to be that you got paid a little less uh, for the second game of a doubleheader, but now it's $65 for each game, which is what everybody thought it should be. Uh, our big controversy kind of lately is that the varsity softball was also increased to exactly the same amount. And um, we all know that softball games um, on average are significantly less time than a baseball game, probably at least 30 minutes. So that would be at least an hour or maybe a little bit more for a doubleheader. Um, so the 
reasoning here was, oh, it's like a Title IX issue or this or that, which I'm not really believing necessarily. But um, uh, nonetheless, um, it's the same. So I guess that's good for those guys. But looking at these, the other pay, um, we know baseball and softball too are, are very expensive sports to officiate. You have to buy a mask. You have to buy chest protector you gotta buy shin guards you gotta buy plate shoes you gotta buy bait shoes you gotta buy your hats you gotta buy your pants and get them all fixed up you gotta buy your jerseys gotta buy your your coats and jackets and gloves and timers and you know a bag to carry all your stuff in it's very expensive compared to other sports than let's say um i don't know basketball um you gotta buy some pants and shoes and shirt and a whistle i guess um and basketball officials here get paid $75 for a game. That is definitely less than two hours for a game. And we know baseball, when you're outside, it's cold lots of times um, in a lot of places, like here in Michigan. And uh, a game usually can be two hours or more. I mean, there's no time limit on it. And they get paid $75 for a, a boys and girls varsity uh, basketball game here in our area. All right, whereas it's $65 for baseball and softball. Ice hockey, ice hockey is pretty close, man. You got to buy skates um, and other equipment that they wear out there, um, you know, their helmet and everything. And also it's kind of more of a select kind of thing. I mean, some people cannot handle just the skating. So they get paid, uh, a referee gets paid $85 for a game and a linesman 65 for a varsity game. Competitive cheer here. I guess they sit at a table or something and judge things for a while. $75. Varsity football, $75. We know the equipment's not there. And also the game is shorter. Um, what else we got? Wrestling, $70 per match. Unless usually a couple hours or so, and, and the equipment level is, is definitely lower. Let's see, what else we got? Uh, soccer, you know, you're wearing shorts and stuff and getting a whistle and some, some shoes, I guess. $65 a game, so they get paid the same. Lacrosse gets $70 a game. I don't know what, if they even have any special equipment that they have, and I know their game is, is less time. Volleyball gets $50 a game, um, so that seems a little low if you ask me. Uh, track starters uh, for a duel get $85, but that, that takes a little while. I mean, so I think that they're definitely um, maybe getting a little less per hour there. So that's what we have. So it seems like baseball is, a, you know, in our area is a little bit on the low side compared to these other sports, particularly basketball. Um, the skill level you need to, to officiate um, – Baseball is high. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's um, it's a challenging sport. I'm not saying any sport's easy necessarily, though we know some are a little easier than others. Um, but, you know, I think it should be on par with football and with basketball. Now, both those sports do have gates, and they make a little money for their schools and help pay that back a little bit. So maybe that is part of the explanation, I guess. I mean, I know Michigan – High school football is pretty solid. It's not like it's Texas or something where they're drawing 10000 for a high school game or something like that, or, or twenty or more, whatever they do. Um, for most schools, you know, it's just a few thousand a game or something like that. So, you know, it's interesting to look at. Um, I'm not even talking about collegiate pay. You know, those things are out there if you want to look at that. But high school sports, I mean, one of the reasons that we're having trouble uh, finding officials, you know, number one is – fan behavior and parent behavior and things like that but also you know making it worth people's time and it's not always about making the money but if you're giving up time with your family and and your friends and everything else that you could be doing to go out there you'd like to be compensated uh for the skills you have to be able to um manage a baseball game assuming you're doing a good job and you're earning your money right so um let me know what uh what 
what you have going on in your area and the kind of pay you guys get and uh, and if it's a little different or similar to um, what we have here in West Michigan. It's now time for part three of our 2020 baseball umpires quiz that I got from Referee Magazine in uh, Nassau. Uh, this is on Federation or High School Rules. And as I've done the last two episodes, I will read you five questions with their potential answers. And uh, as you listen, see if you can figure out what the correct answer is in your head before I give it to you. So here's number 11. With R1 on first, the hit and run is on. Better one hits a fly ball to the center field fence that is caught. R1 touches second on his way to third, but misses it on his return to first. The center fielder's throw to the first baseman goes into dead ball territory. The base umpire properly awards third to R1. Here's your choices. A. Since R1 touched second at least once, it is not considered a missed base. B. The award negates any appeal on the missed base. C. If R1 touches second while proceeding on the award, an appeal on the missed base cannot be upheld. D. R1 will be called out on proper appeal whether or not he touches a sec- touches second while advancing on the award. So what do you got? Well, if you picked C, you are correct. If R1 touches second while proceeding on the award, an appeal on the missed base cannot be upheld. Number 12. Batter 1 bunts down the first baseline. The ball rolls into foul territory and, as he's running toward first, Better 1, in disgust, intentionally kicks the ball toward the dugout. The umpire is certain the ball had no chance to roll fair. A. B1 is warned that he could be called out for such actions. B. B1 is ejected for unsportsmanlike behavior. C. B1 is called out. D. The play stands. Foul ball. What do you got? Well, if you picked D, you are correct. The play stands. Foul ball. On to question 13. With R1 on first, left-handed Batter 3. Attempts to drag bunt. He foul tips the ball into the mitt of the catcher, who is attempting to throw behind R1. The catcher's throw hits B3, the batter, who has exited the box on the drag bunt attempt and has both feet clearly out of the batter's box. A. Legal. B. B3 is out for interference. C, foul ball. What do you got? B is correct. B3 is out for interference. Question 14. Batter 1 hits a single to center field. The base umpire notices the center fielder fielded the ball with a first baseman's glove. Choices. A. The play stands the glove must be removed. B. The offense 
can have the pitch replayed. C. Better one will be awarded three bases. And choice D. Any fielder may use a first baseman's glove. Well, according to the NASA quiz, the correct answer is D. Any fielder may use a first baseman's glove. That doesn't seem correct, but that's what they have for their answer. <laughs> and 15. The bases are loaded and there is one out when B1 hits a pop fly near first base in fair territory. An infield fly is called. R1, who is several feet off the bag, is tracking the fly ball instead of locating the first baseman who is about to make the catch. R1 unintentionally runs into the first baseman who makes the catch in fair territory. Here are your choices. A. Only better one is called out. B. Only R1 is called out. Or C. Both B1 and R1 are called out. What do you have? If you pick C, both B1 and R1 are called out. You are correct. So that concludes our five quiz questions for this week. And next week, I will conclude the entire quiz with five more questions. If you've umpired for any length of time, you've had disappointment. It could have been disappointment from not receiving an assignment that you were hoping to receive. It could be disappointment from your performance in a particular game. It might be, you know, calling balls and strikes or the way you handle things uh, on the basis. It could be disappointment with a fellow umpire or some coaches or players. It could be disappointment with uh, the way that your career in general might be progressing. All these things, um, you know, figure into the human psyche and uh, make us want to continue to umpire or not umpire. Unfortunately, I... I've known a few people that um, are, you know, were very accomplished umpires and had achieved certain goals that others would be envious of that um, walked away um, because uh, obviously they were disappointed in, uh, in the way things were going for them or they were not enjoying umpiring. I guess if you know that it's time for you to walk away and you're not enjoying doing it, then you probably should do that. I mean, sure, you can make some money doing this, um, but it's more than that. If you if you don't enjoy um, being on the field and being part of the game, and it's more of a just a chore or or just a job for you, um, then it's really not worth it, and and you probably should step away. I mean, you know, why do this if you if, if it's just going to cause you trouble? About a year ago, um, for Referee Magazine, David Ewell wrote a article um, about uh, moving forward after disappointment. And I've met David a couple times, you know, just in passing, saying hi, because he's the um, brother of Mark Ewell, who, you, who is the head of the MHSAA here in um, 
Michigan, and himself as a two-time College World Series umpire. Um, but David was a, a professional umpire. I believe he made it to AAA. Um, and so was very close to making it into the major leagues. And, um, you know, obviously um, was disappointed when things didn't really work out the way that he wanted to uh, and didn't make it there, you know. And um, it's, you know, really tough uh, to make it to the major leagues in, in umpiring. And uh, if you don't kind of make it within a certain time frame, then there's always some other guys coming along and and you, you kind of lose your position. And that's kind of what happened to him. Doesn't mean he was a, a bad umpire. I mean, he was, you know, a professional umpire for 10 years and almost got there. I mean, he's, I've seen him umpire um, on TV a couple of times and in person at, in, in some college games. And he's a wonderful umpire, really, really good. Um, he's doing um, college ball now, you know, Division One college ball. I believe he had a super regional last year. And usually if you make a super regional, um, then you're on track if things go well to um, make a Cows World Series. So I'm sure that, you know, he's pretty close to that. Who knows? It could happen this next year. If not, then it's going to be soon. So like he mentioned in the article, and, and you can look it up, um, you know, when one door closes, another one opens. That's the old saying, and that's what he mentioned as well. And that's true. I mean, his professional career... Um, closed, but some opportunities in his in, in amateur baseball and in college baseball opened up, and you know, and if he's able to make a college World Series, that's a a great accomplishment. And he's a very accomplished umpire. I know he works camps and things and instructing people, and seems like a really nice guy from the times I've met him. You know, but like I said, I don't know him that well. Um, but those are things that we need to think about ourselves. You know, for whatever level we're at. I mean, we're not. You know, most of us are not. Uh, um, former pros and, and big-time college umpires that have a shot at the College World Series. Uh, but uh, for whatever you're working, um, you have to um, be able to deal with those disappointments that come along and realize that um, frequently, even though sometimes it seems like it's it's the bottom of the situation, that uh, if you stick with it, um, things can turn around and, and end up pretty good for you. Maybe not exactly the way that you thought that they would. But um, you just got to persevere. I guess that's the big thing. You got to persevere and um, keep fighting it. And as long as you're enjoying doing what you're doing and, and being on the, the ball field, uh, keep doing it and see what, what happens. And the biggest thing, too, I know sometimes our, our personal goals don't always get met the way that we'd like them. But if we're giving back to the game and we're giving back to the officiating community and helping others and, and, um, and, and not being jealous of others that uh, uh, accomplish things that we think that maybe we should accomplish or whatever it might be. That's very easy to do and, and that really makes it not enjoyable. And I think that's the thing that is detrimental to a lot of people, um, a lot of umpires and a lot of the guys that walk away is that they start getting jealous. I mean, they just can't help it, I guess. And, and they feel like they're passed over. Um, so the way to not feel jealous, I think, is to you know, congratulate those people to, to, to realize that there's lots of good umpires out there and that sometimes things, you know, work out in different ways for different guys and to help people coming along. And, um, when you do that, you kind of show the kind of person that you are, and then hopefully, uh, you continue to improve and you'll get the opportunities that, that you hope that, that you, you know, hope and want will come your way. So anyway, just a few things to think about. I know that's 
you know, kind of a touchy topic, I guess, with some people, but uh, definitely something that uh, we all have to be able to uh, grab a hold of and, and restrain in our minds how we handle disappointment and how we handle um, jealousy, you know, um, of other umpires and the things that they're able to accomplish and realize that we're not going to accomplish everything. There's only just a handful of guys that really reach the very, very top, you know. Uh, so some things to think about and uh, keep in mind as, as 2020 rolls along. This episode's umpire spotlight is American League umpire Ron Luciano. Ron Luciano once said that when I started, the game was played by nine tough competitors on grass and graceful ballparks. But while I was trying to answer the daily quiz, quizogram on the exploding scoreboard, a revolution was taking place around me. By the time I finished... There were 10 men on each side. The game was played indoors on plastic, and I had to spend half my time watching out for a man dressed in a chicken suit who kept trying to kiss me. That kind of is uh, what Ron Luciano was about. He was definitely a character, and uh, from what everybody seemed to say, a pretty darn good umpire, too, for, um, for a good 10 years in the American League. Uh, Luciano was uh, born in 1937 um, in uh, Endicott, New York, a suburb of Birmingham near the Pennsylvania border. Uh, he was a six foot four, 260-pounder and a standout offensive and defensive tackle at Syracuse University, where he majored in mathematics. Um, he played football there, of course. He was in the 1957 Cotton Bowl, and in 1958, he was an All-American. In 1959, he played on the, the Orange Men's National Championship team that uh, featured uh, future Heisman Trophy winner Ernie Davis. And then uh, he was drafted in the 1959 NFL Draft by the uh, Baltimore Colts, who selected him as an offensive tackle and then traded him to the Lions. Uh, but he suffered a, a pretty bad shoulder injury in the College All-American game, and he never played for the Lions. And they traded him to the Minnesota Vikings, who released him at the end of the season. And then the AFL, which was, you know, the weaker league for sure at that time. The Buffalo Bills picked him up in 61, but then he had a knee injury, and then he retired after only two games. So he never really got his shot uh, from some bad luck, it sounds like, in the NFL. Anyway, he started umpiring in the minor leagues in 1964, first in the Class A Florida State League. And then he made it to AA Eastern League in 65. And then he made it to AAA, the International League, in 67. He became an uh, American League umpire in 1969 and uh, remained there until he retired just before the 1980 regular season. And, of course, um, if you're old enough to remember, um, he was uh, very flamboyant with his calls particularly his habit of, you know, shooting out players, you know, who were out, you know, like on a steal or out on a close play at first, um, kind of doing this kind of pointing thing. Um, so he started to scream his cause and leap in the air and, you know, it kind of made a big attraction out of himself and people seemed to like that. Um, his skills were um, 
particularly respected, weren't particularly respected by the players, but uh, the um, Major League players in 1974 did uh, vote him as uh, one of the two American League umpires that they rated as excellent, even though he was a bit of a showboat and over the top. Of course, you know, he was a bit of a individualist. He played pretty loose with all the rules of conduct that uh, the umpires are supposed to abide by. For example, rather than working from behind second base as the American League wanted him to do, he frequently uh, stood between the pitcher and the base like National League style. He refused to call blocks, <laughs> insisting that the official definition was too vague to permit consistent enforcement. He said, I never called a balk in my life. He says, I didn't understand the rule. <laughs> Unbelievable. So uh, one time, uh, he congratulated uh, Oakland A's uh, infielder Sal Bando uh, as he ran on the bases after he hit a home run, uh, after he had a long slump. And the third baseman for the team looked at him like, you know, he was crazy or whatever. And he said, don't worry, we're both Italian. <laughs> so in 1973, in spring training, uh, Buddy Bell was playing third base. And... Um, he and Buddy Bell switched positions. <laughs> Buddy Bell umpired, and Luciano um, played a little portion of the of an inning at third base. Uh, both obviously got reprimanded for that, but you know it's spring training, I guess, right? Anyway, he'd always be conversing with players between innings, which is a big no-no nowadays. Don't be doing that. But uh, he was one of those guys, I guess, that could get away with it. And, of course, you know, probably some players didn't mind this, but others probably drove them crazy, you know. I mean, they don't want it. They're not up there wanting to talk to the umpire. And then there's one um, instance in one of the books he wrote where Kari Ostromsky was in a big slump and he came up and basically told him not to be talking to him. Hey, everything's fine. My kids are fine. This is I'm all good, you know. And then, like, on the first or second pitch, you know, Yaz hit a home run and he said, okay, you can talk to me now after you cross the plate, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, he was... Luciano was the kind of guy to go out and have a bunch of beers the night before. He'd come in, you know, hungover or whatever and have to do the plate and figure his way through it. Um, he'd always, you know, he definitely had that comedic uh, sense, you know, and timing. Uh, one time Tommy John was um, uh, throwing a pitch and nobody was on base. And as he kind of hit, Tommy John had a way of uh, kind of curling his hand behind his back. And anyway, he did that and he dropped the ball. But, of course, somebody's on base, and as long as it doesn't cross the foul line, it's, it's no pitch, right? You know, it's just a, you know, a kind of a do-over. That's the rule. Anyway, um, he, he, Luciana knew this, but uh, I think Don Buford was up. And uh, so that happened, and, you know, he calls it a strike. Strike, you know, goes into it. And, of course, Buford's looking at him all crazy, and Tommy John's out there laughing and laughing like crazy. Ends up giving up a bunch of hits and getting pulled from the game, and, even as he's leaving the field after he got pulled, he's still laughing because, you know, that's the kind of stuff that Luciano would do. So he kept it loose. I mean, we're not supposed to um, be – nobody. they say nobody comes to see the umpires. But Luciano was uh, one of those guys that maybe they, maybe they did come to see Luciano a little bit, you know. He was definitely part of the game a little bit. So I'm sure Joe Cronin, who was uh, the president of American League for most of the time that he was uh, um, an umpire um, – Probably got a little tired of dealing with his antics. But um, nonetheless, Luciano, you know, worked in the 1974 World Series. He worked in the um, 73 All-Star Game. He worked in the American League Championship Series in 71, 75, and 78. So, you know, he was uh, 
um, getting some of those postseason accolades that people would like to 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 get. All right. Um, he was uh, behind the plate when Nolan Ryan threw um, his second no hitter um, against the Tigers in 1973, and then um, he also served. Uh, two full terms as president of the Major League Umpires Association, trying to, you know, help get some better pay and conditions and pension and everything else for umpires because it, it definitely, you know, wasn't a very good uh, situation. And he helped get it to, you know, pretty good pretty good situation now for most of the professional umpires, at least the Major League umpires. Of course, he's also known for having a long-time feud with Earl Weaver, starting when they were both in the minor leagues together. And um, he ejected Weaver on several occasions. Um, one time in the minors, he ejected him before, you know, in both games of a doubleheader. Um, he ejected him on a couple of occasions, you know, like at the home plate meeting, <laughs> okay, <laughs> before even anything happened. I mean, um, the league would try not to schedule Luciano's crew when they were in Baltimore, you know, to, to be in Baltimore, they tried to avoid that if they could. I mean, Oriole players would take bets on when he would get ejected, when Weaver would get ejected. So they definitely had, you know, some issues. And um, according to Luciano, the big thing is that Weaver never forgave anybody. He always held a grudge. He says, you know, some managers, you have a big row with them or something, and then the next day they're, they're fine, they're moving on, you know, because baseball is like that. You got to do that whether you're a player or an umpire too, you got to move on, right? But um, Weaver was not like that. So, anyway, um, as far as um, after he retired, Luciano retired in 1980. After the, well, you know, before the 1980 season, and he's known for um, having written five books: "The Umpire Strikes Back," then "Strike Two," "The Fall of the Roman Umpire," "Remembrance of Swings Past." and Baseball Light. And I've uh, read a couple of those books, and they're very entertaining. He talks about, you know, different players and situations and things that happen, and definitely well worth uh, the read, and, and they're definitely um, they're fun books to read. Um, he used to be on TV. He was um, a color commentator for uh, a couple seasons on NBC's Game of the Week back in the early 80s. Um, but unfortunately for, for Luciano, you know, th- in a lot of his life, he, he suffered from depression. And, um, you know, at that point, um, depression wasn't always handled as well as maybe it is nowadays and, and different things that they do for people. And so he took his life um, in uh, 1995 when he was 57 years old, um, covering monoxide poisoning, you know, in the, his garage and everything. And so um, that's kind of how it came to an end. So, you know, even though you have the smiles and the jovial kind of guy obviously there's some deeper demons that he suffered from um throughout his life but anyway he had um always had some good quotes and he said uh, uh any umpire who claims he has never missed a play is well an umpire right and then finally any umpire who lasts five years in the minor leagues deserves to be immortalized any umpire who lasts 10 or more years in the minor leagues deserves to be institutionalized and so um some of you professional umpires i'm sure you can uh, can agree with some of that so anyway that's our umpire spotlight this week ron luciano uh interesting dude and definitely one to check out if you don't know a whole lot about him
Thanks for joining me once again for this episode of The Hammer, an umpire podcast. I'm trying to line up some interviews for the future. Uh, I've been in contact with Kelly Dine. Um, Maybe not this week, but the following episode. Hopefully I can uh, speak with her and uh, talk to her about some umpiring. You might remember Kelly um, for working the Little League World Series this past year. She worked the championship game on ESPN, and I've had the pleasure of meeting her at um, Bruce Stone's umpire camps a couple of times, and she's a, a, a great person and a, a, a tremendous umpire as well. And I also believe that she is the first woman to work a Division One collegiate game. I might be mistaken, but I'm about 99.9% sure on that. Uh, so she's a, a very interesting person in many ways, and uh, we'll learn some stuff about her when uh, when we have her on the podcast. As far as, as the podcast, things are going well. Um, my average audience, you know, about 100 people or so each, each episode seem to listen, and it seems to be growing. I've got uh, some listeners in the United Kingdom now, so some, some British umpires, I guess, working on the cricket fields and, the, uh, and, and trying to learn baseball, I guess. <laughs> Anytime I see somebody that uh, is one of my listeners in Romania or Slovakia or Italy, Indonesia, New Zealand, Germany, Australia, whatever, um, I think it's just an American that's maybe overseas. And um, they decide, hey, I'll, I'll listen to this podcast while I'm over here or something like that. Um, Maybe maybe it's a native, you know, Brit. Um, maybe it's a native German that's listening, or you know, all the Italian baseball fans out there, or something. I don't know, um, but that, that's what I always assume. I don't really know. I haven't got any feedback. I mean, if you're one of my my big time international listeners, or or one of my listeners from Canada too, because I guess you're technically international as well, I'd like to know um, how you came about, you know, finding the podcast and what you think, and if there's anything that I can do to. Um, to, to kind of serve your needs a little bit on this podcast, that'd be interesting. And maybe if it's possible, if you are a, a native person to one of those particular countries, um, you know, get you on the podcast and see how, how the umpiring is going in, in your particular country. That would be very, very interesting. But anyway, things are moving along. We're here in January. Um, assignments are pretty much coming out right now uh, for most of the levels and uh, we should be digging into our rule books doing our rules test and starting to get ourselves ready for this upcoming season maybe you're trying to contact a local coach or something and see if there's some pitches you can go in and call um, if you want to do that a little bit uh, while pitchers and catchers are kind of working things out get yourself back in gear I, I try to do that maybe with, uh, with my local high school here you know see some pitches once or twice for you know 45 minutes or something like that and um you know, put the gear on and get behind somebody and see what the deal is. So I suggest that if you haven't done that before, um, check into doing something like that. There's definitely going to be somebody out there that would uh, allow you to do that. Well, until next time, um, keep yourself safe and sound and keep calling strikes.